Hey, legends, you know, none of our interviews or episodes ever date, ever. They are all timeless and ready for you for when you're ready to listen. Download the lot and rip in. This episode is brought to you by our wonderful sponsors, Galaxy Finance. Check them out at galaxyfinance.com.au. The great ones, they're different. They really are. Not better, just different. Sure, there's a physical power, a mental strength, a complex but resolute constitution too. There's a whole lot more than just the measurables. That's something else, that intangible. It separates us from them. Welcome to the Legends series on Andy Raymond Unfiltered. This one, he had it all. One of the greatest names to ever step foot onto a rugby league field. One of the greatest blokes and storytellers off it too. But who is Bob McCarthy? Well, Bob McCarthy is uh, an ex-rugby league player that um, grew up in the suburb of Redfern. Born in Surrey Hills in St Margaret's Hospital and... Uh, uh, was always a South fan when a younger guy and um, always thought about playing for the Mighty Rabbits one day and eventually I got my chance and uh, up until a couple of years ago I held the record for the most number of games for South Sydney until Johnny Sutton flew <laughs> past me about 100 miles an hour and uh, I think I'm now the second. <laughs> but I held it for 40-odd years so I'm pretty proud of that record. 70-something years young, you look like you could put Jason Tamalolo on his ass and outrun James Tedesco to the corner. You've had a professional involvement in rugby league since 1963. What's the one question you reckon over that period you've been asked the most? Because we'll try and avoid it. Uh, well, I think it always gets me to that grand final. I mean, I scored 119 tries in first grade and everyone seems to just talk about that grand final and they don't sort of talk about the tries that led up to the grand final yeah. that got us in the grand final, but uh, that's the most, the one that's been asked the most. I tell a fib, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> 58 years involvement in the game. Do you like the 2021 version of rugby league, of rugby league players and where the game is at? I, I like it until they keep changing the rules all the time. Yes. You know, I mean, you, the game was invented in 1908 for the state, the rules to stay there forever. Um, I mean, now, now they just keep changing and all that. And, and the things that happened years and years and years ago now could have been could have been tries and all that type of stuff and premierships could have won by someone else and all that type of stuff. I think they just should have stuck with the rules, leave them as they are and just let, let's just, you know, go, go on with it and um, just play as it is. But Changing the rules every time just to please, you know, someone has suddenly just come into the game. I think I don't think it's right for that. And um, sometimes I lose interest in some games, but yep. um, I like watching the, some of the games now. I like watching the mighty South play, the way they throw that ball around. I mean, even people that aren't South supporters would would watch. Couldn't can't wait for South I to agree. play. No mobile phones, no camera phones, no paparazzi in the sixties. Is that a good thing? You could have oh. a beer and misbehave without being headline and front oh. page news. Says, well, I was an old Walter boy, so I'm sweet, but there's a lot of guys <laughs> out there. <laughs> there's a lot of guys out there that would have been in jail, but, uh, oh, you know, I mean, our, 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 our biggest vice in our day was, was, was the grog. I yeah. mean, you could drink and drive, and, and it was just part and parcel of the day. And yeah. uh, you went to work and, you know, went to train in the afternoon and 
you know, Clive used to train us when Clive came into South. He uh, he trained us for about forty minutes, and then it'd be over to the pub, over to the club around the the, uh, the pub there at uh, Waterloo, the George Hotel, and we'd be there till ten o'clock every night and drive home. And then the, the night you had off, we'd meet at the Cauliflower Hotel and have a few beers down there, and back to training Thursday night and Friday back to the Cauliflower. So it was just one big drinkathon, and everyone sort of done it. And everyone just people in not so much footballers, but people in the normal life just drink yeah. every day, and that was just part and part of the deal. Prior to your debut and through the early years of grade footy, the St George side won 11 straight from 56 to 66. Were they just a completely different level to other sides from what you recall? Oh, easy. I, I come in when I was 18 against them and um, <clears throat> I remember running, we, we played them my first time against them. I was 18, I was at, um, at Cogger Oval and I remember we ran out first and uh, and then they they come out through the tunnel and they're oh, monstrous, you know, with those white jumpers. White, white for some reason makes you look bigger. And out they come. There was Proven, there was Clay, there was Rasmus, and there was Dickard Art. And I'm thinking, geez, what a side. And I hadn't even got down to Raper and Gasnoon that yet. <laughs> they, they hadn't come out, and I thought. But it was good to play, even though they put 30 or 40 on you, you know, it was good to play against them. You could, you could, you could see what level you had to reach to, to be a top player. And to play against them each time was like playing against the Australian side. And uh, everyone, you know, as I said, if we got beat by 30 or 40, you always learned something. Now you learned the speed of the game, you knew what you had to do, and you had to take it up the middle a a couple of times to suck them in and do this and do that. Because most coaches in the old days used to just say, just get there and bash them. You know, there there was no sort of technical stuff around. And uh, until Harry Bath and these guys, Bernie Purcell, these guys come in and they they put a bit of, um, of what's name, a bit of, um, what's name into the game. um, um, a bit, bit of tactics, bit of well, finesse. Well, well, a bit of um, handwork. And yeah. You know, like Harry Bath, I think, changed changed the course of Australian rugby league. Was like up until the 50s and late 50s, and England were always hard to beat. New Zealand used to knock us over. France used to knock us over. And we used to win every now and then. And um, when Harry Bath and Ken Carney and, and there's another guy, come, Rex Moss, had come back from England, they brought back them the, the, the ball handling capabilities because I think Australia in the old days used to just pick all these big muscly blacks. Yeah, and think because the Poms were big and fat that they'd out muscle them and outplay them all. But what they didn't realise, they might have been big and fat from the, from the from the chest down, but from the shoulders to their chest, they were powerful because the majority yeah. of them were all miners. Yep. And when I say miners, they they dug with hammers, um, with with shovels and spades, mm. uh, shovels and picks. And now it's all machinery and all that they yeah. dig. And so these blokes were all powerful up the top. And uh, and the only reason they had big bellies was because it was so hot down in the things. They'd come up and had to drink pints and had to put the thing back in. But <laughs> we used to think they were overweight and that, but they weren't. They were very – plus they were skilled because they got brought up on a soccer regime where you give the ball to a player in a better position yeah. than yourself. And um, and we sort of – Harry Bath and these guys brought this back from England. And from there, when you got your Arthur Beatsons and your Bob O'Reilly's and all these type of guys started moving the ball like them and – and then all of a sudden we went past them with the muscly stuff and all that type of stuff, and uh, now it's we're hard to beat. It was a really significant shift in the way rugby league was played. Um, some of the ball playing of oh. that era from those mm. English guys that appeared oh. overweight and unfit was and it was amazing. unbelievable. I remember fifty eight. I was sitting on the hill at the cricket ground, and uh, we won the first test against. So I think it was twenty five eight. And they brought a bloke in called Vince Coralius. Oh, yes. And he ripped us apart in the second and the third test. The third test, they won 40 to something. And some of them guys have played in that third test side for Australia, never played for Australia again, and yet they were, they were, they were household names. And then um, they, the 62 side that came out, I think they were the best ever. I mean, they, they learned from their 58 tour, 
and they come out here and they just annihilate, annihilated us and everyone thought, well, oh, wait, they play St George at the end. St George will give it to them because, you know, they were the Australian side and yep. they had the combination there, whereas normally when you pick test sides, you get picked on the Sunday night. You have two training sessions together and you've got guys from Queensland, guys from the country, and you've got to try and mould a combination over yeah. an hour or something twice in two, in two days. And uh, you normally get, get, get you know, belted, belted sort of thing. But with St George, we thought, well, the combination's yep. there, and they wouldn't believe it at first up. I don't know if you remember the game, but St George scored in the first couple of minutes. And we thought, well, that's it. We'll show yeah. these pommy bastards um, at how we play in Australia. And from there on in, they, someone woke them up, and they, I think they won 30-something to five. Wow. So they, just, we, they were just so great. And um, a couple of them guys came out here. Dickie, Dick Hutter come to yes. St George and David Bolton come out to, uh, to uh, Balmain. I think like called Ken Noble, who's a prop 40, come out and play with Balmain. Didn't have much success. So I think he was a bit too big for, um, for the game out here. Yep. And uh, I think it's more suited to rugby union. But he, um, they, uh, they were just a great side. And, and as I said before, I think we learned all our football prowess. I think pretty sure Beetson and O'Reilly and yep. all them blokes, John Sattler and all them all learned from, from these great players that came out in the early, late 50s, early 60s. It's a very different game now. Is it a better game now? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's good that they're back 10 metres. I mean, it, mm. Back way before the fifties, they, they they had the one yard rule. Yeah. I mean, I remember seeing all them guys that played for South mainly in the at the kangaroos at the reunions at the South reunions, and they, their nose were splattered all over their face, <laughs> and they had they had ears like potato scallops because they they so they just just reach across and just smack the blokes in the ears, and uh, you know everyone had cauliflower ears and back, and you, they weren't real big blokes back in those days. If you read the history of rugby league, you see in nineteen hundred eight they say the eleven and a half stone front rower. Wow. I mean, I mean, how would they play today against Glenn Lazarus and these yeah. guys? You know, Steve Roach and and you know, all these type of guys. And um, you know, you wonder how, like, even so much Reg Gasney now. Yep. How would he stand up to Greg Inglis and Mel Meninga and Gene Miles and these type of blokes? Although I must say, in, in Reg's defence, um, he did play against Harry Wells, who was a big bloke, and yeah. he used to handle him all right. Yeah. Arguably the biggest change in the game's history was 1967, from the unlimited tackle rule to the four tackle rule. You played under both rules. It's a huge adjustment for everyone, isn't it? Well, it was. Well, it will, you know, if going from hold on to the ball, if you dropped it, you go back to second grade. You know, yet the, 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 is that what it was like? Oh yeah, yeah. The retain possession because while you had it, they couldn't score. Yep. And um, ironically, St George is to give it to you in the first twenty minutes, then bash the crap out of you. Wow. Then run over you the last sixty minutes because yep. they had these great players. But uh, when the sixty-seven uh, rule came in, the four tackle rule. It was it was a bit like touch first up because you only had uh, three three tack three tackles mm. and then you had to kick the ball downtown. So a lot a lot of the sides then weren't a lot of the players then weren't getting much much uh, playing time. Yeah, and uh, Clive Churchill and his and his wisdom saw myself and Ron Coop we were both fasters that they need the backs, and they said, look, you might get the ball in three tackles, so get out in the backs and when we throw it around, you'll get the ball and hope you can strike, you know. And uh, we done that, and we were pretty successful over the first six years of it until they changed it to the six-tackle rule. Any elite athlete will tell you it takes more than just being physically fit to be at your best. And our friends at Galaxy Finance can have you at the top of your financial game. From home loans to investments and self-managed super funds, they provide complete solutions. Call Galaxy Finance on 1300 91 7740 
and mention you heard it on Andy Raymond Unfiltered to get an obligation-free chat to see how Galaxy Finance can assist you. In 67, Clive Churchill was appointed Rabbitohs coach. You didn't get to play with the little master. What do you recall of him as a coach but also as a bloke? Well, he's a terrific bloke. I mean, you know, everyone told us about how, good, how you like him first up and... Yep. Um, when he when he come in, he uh, he just it was just one of the boys, you know, because of his, his status in the game, and um, we everyone accepted him. And uh, you know, Clive, uh, I, I, by his own admission, wasn't a great tactical sort of coach. Yep, he he made sure we were all on the same same shoot shoot of music before a game, and made sure we we're all fit and all that type of stuff. And I think you could see the what the talent we had in the team. I mean, um, seventy one side, we out of the tw- thirteen players on the field, we twelve played for Australia. Three at Captain Australia, so all you had to do was make sure we, were, we you know, we were on the right, right page at the, each game, and made sure our minds were on the game. And, and coming at half time, we were getting beat, give us a bit of a dressing down. Yep. Although one time there, I think we played Norse, and we had we remember the old city country games. Yes, we I think we had twelve in the city country games in first and seconds. It's amazing. And, and we're playing North Sydney, and North Sydney used to give it to us any even when we were at the top, you know, yeah. if we were fit and all that, and they or they knocked us over or. Or they uh, they they nearly beat us anyway. This particular day, I forget what year it was, and we get smashed at half time. And Clive come in, and we thought, oh well, here we go. And he just looked at us, pulled his coat out, went like that, shook his coat, let the sister say you can't play, and walked back out the room. Didn't say a word. Set Johnny Sattler stood up and said, okay, we you know what he means. We've got to get our finger out. And, <laughs> and away we went out, and you when know, I scored a couple, and Cootie scored a couple, and Cleary scored a couple, and we finished up just knocking them over. Irvine back then, you know, we were scoring tries uh, prolifically. Anyway, he was scoring every week, and uh, and every side just every other side beat him by thirty or forty. And every time we played against him, we were just lucky to get out with the skin of it, you know. Wow, yeah, you know, North Sydney able especially. You said Clive wasn't a huge tactician, yet he put the two back rowers on an edge where they play now in twenty twenty one. So. Someone was 50 years ahead of their time. Yeah, well, I think Clive played against the great French side that came out here in 51. They, they had yeah. two big second rowers. Apparently, they were as big as us, like a, um, or might even be bigger. They were a bloke called Ponsonnet and Broussay. Yep. And uh, th- th- they were just running riot by just getting out amongst the backs and running off five eights and all that type of stuff. And they just say running off the edge. And, um, and he just sort of just said, just do what they done sort of wow. thing. And away we went. I mean, I, I went from scoring four or five tries a year to scoring, you know, like 20. I think twice I was going to be the leading try scorer and Irvine got me one year. <laughs> and the other time... There's Lon- no shame in that. I know, and Lionel Williamson got me the other year. No shame in that either and, with Lionel. And, and the thing was, I scored in those games and I thought, well, that's it. I've got it wrapped up because I might have led by one. Yep. And then, the, especially with Irvine, apparently I thought, I'm sweet here. I've, I'm owned by two because they were playing some some good side. Yeah. And I remember Johnny Martin coming. He said, oh, you missed out, Mac. I said, don't tell me he scored. He said, he scored four. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you see his record now, 212 tries play, yeah. playing with North Sydney, like how good a player he was. He was just so quick and so elusive. I'm in my element here talking to a statesman like uh, yourself and hearing first-hand stories about guys like Clive Churchill. Brilliant. Yeah. Now, over this period, you and your South Sydney Rabbitohs were very dominant. Premierships in 67, 68, 70, 71. You played in three of them. It's often said the first one is the most special one. Is that the case? 
Yeah, well, um, we got beaten 65 and 69, so we played in five grand finals. And uh, they, the, people always say that you've got to lose one to win one. Yep. And when we went down to St George in 65 in that record crowd, people uh, people turned up that day because they, they could see that the St George era was over. Yep. Because we'd beat them three times during there. We beat them in the pre-season comp. We beat them, I think it was about 8-5 or 7-5 when all their stars were in New Zealand with the Australian side. Yep. And I remember Frank Facer, their CEO, saying, oh, wait till we, wait till we get all our stars back. We'll, we'll, t- we'll tear them up at the cricket ground in the second round. And when we played them at the cricket ground, we beat them by a bigger score. I think that's why that crowd turned up. Because yeah. they could thought, well, the, the era's over. The, the dynasty's over. And now this young rabbit dynasty's going to take over. And... What it was, we uh, we we missed out in '66, and then we come back in '67. And when we played in that grand final, even though it was only 12-10, we were that determined to um, to you know, to win the premiership, and it was a great occasion for everyone. And then to back up the next year, the Dual Reap, um, second up in the um, was sensational. Well, I didn't play that year. Yep. Um, I I played second grade in it. But I played during the year. I don't know if you remember in the grand final when I scored that try. I pulled my hamstring and '88 it. It just got worse. Yep. And I only played a handful of games. And um, prior to coming into the the semis, Clive said to me, I, I don't think I'll, tr- I'll trust you. He said, just play second grade and see how you go. And I played second grade. I think we played Balmain and they were pretty good. I think they were leading the comp. And we, yep. well, I think we beat them 31-0. And I scored a couple of tries and I said to Clive, my leg's all right. And then when we come to train the Tuesday night, he had a bit of a sleep over it and thought, no, I can't trust you. Because in those days, um, you're allowed one replacement up till half time and none in the second half. That's why a lot of guys used to stay on with their broken legs and all that type yeah. of stuff. And um, he said, I can't trust you, Mac. And I said, mate, I'm right. I said, you seen me play last week. I scored even and nothing happened. Anyway, he said, no, I can't trust you. So he put Bobby Moses into the second row and then um, they beat Manly. We won second grade. You wouldn't believe the second grade. So I went back to it. With me and Gary Stevens were second row and Paul Sate was locked. We had Ray Bredinger in the back line with uh, Ivan Jones, who played in the grand final the year before, yeah. with Kevin Longbottom. George Piggins was hooker. This is the reserve this grade reserve side. Reserve grade side. Wow. So it was like playing first grade anyway. Naturally, we won. And yeah. So we won the first grade and second grade. And uh, uh, that was um, yeah, the, one of the reasons I didn't play in that 68 grand final, mainly because of the hamstring issues. And you wouldn't believe one day there, um, Michael Trainer, Michael Cleary's box. Uh, Sprint trainer said to me, yeah, How come you keep pulling your hamstrings? I said, I don't know. I said, I do everything what the doctor tells me. He says, What do you do? I said, Well, I just rest up and put a, put the heat on it and yep. rest up. And I said, When I go out the run, it just pings on me all the time. He said, You're doing the wrong thing. I said, Well, he's a doctor. He's a like telling me. And he said, No. He said, What you got to do? He said, You go out and run. He said, And uh, when you jog, he said, All the blood's going through the tissues in your muscle. And that breaks up all that congestion where you've tore it, and it clears all that um, that congealed up. What's the name up? The scar, yeah. scar tissue, and you get your muscle back. So I started doing that, and all of a sudden, I never pulled a hamstring again, in ever and ever, forever and a day, even when I went to, went back to Canterbury and all that, you know. So we knew more about these other guys. He said, "No," he said, "You got to go and run it out." And I said, "Oh, it hurts." He said, no, "It's going to hurt you." He said, "Because you have got to get that blood running through the the fibres of your to of fix your muscle." The scar tissue. Yeah, he said, "That'll clear all that scar tissue up where you keep ripping it all the time." He said, "Because you." You're big up top, yep. And your legs aren't big enough for your, for your body, and you're just ripping it all the time. Plus, you're doing the wrong training for it, you know. You're listening to Andy Raymond Unfiltered, the Legend series. We have corporate and private sponsorship packages available. You set the terms. For further information on how you can become part of the team, 
go to the website andyraymondunfiltered.com.au and hit the sponsorship tab. That conversation between Clive and yourself in 68, heartbreaking? Oh, yeah, especially, yeah, I thought, well, I'm, I'm right, mate, you know, yeah. sweet, I, I, I thought we'd win about six or seven or eight, nine grand finals, that's all we have, you know, plus we could see what was coming through on the, on the assembly line, you know, yeah. like we had Brenning and all these blokes coming through and, uh, you know, I thought, we'll, we'll, we'll break this in George dynasty, but unfortunately it didn't happen and then when I played the next year in 69, um, all hell broke loose because yeah. of uh, what happened and we couldn't get them off the ground and they're all getting suntans and whatever. Yeah. And, uh, um, Davey Bolton before the game was as white as a sheet when the game finished he went down that many times he, had a, he looked like Eric Sims he was a good suntan <laughs> <laughs> The 67 grand final against Canterbury what do you recall of that try because 54 years later Macca it still gets played hundreds of times a year yeah, I feel sorry for the guy that froze the pass because he's uh, <laughs> every year they bring it up and make, makes me look good, but makes him look look shit ass. You know, yeah. he uh, he must hate me that Colin Brown. Anyway, I'll tell you what happened. We the, 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 that they were shooting it across. Like Kevin, someone took it and someone else took it, and they're going to the middle. And I said to Brian James, and I could see Les Johns coming up in the black, in the background, yeah. in the back line. And I said to Brian James, I said, "Come up, move up, quick, quick." He said, "They're coming back to the blind." And so we sort of moved up together. And when Les come into the back line, he's yelled out, "Yeah, yeah, yes," or "Mine," or whatever. And Cole Brown, for some reason, was stuck in the in the back line, and he just threw the ball to Les Les Johns's voice. Not look, not drawing me like if he'd have drawn me, I'd have tackled him and yep. knocked him out of the out of the plane. That Les Johns would have gone through the hole, and most probably, if Cootie wasn't there, he he would have scored. You know. Yeah. Anyway, um, as it turned out, he just threw it to Les's voice, and I thought myself when I moved up, oh, I can catch this. Yep. But when I caught, I didn't think I'd have to run the whole field. I thought I'd be able <laughs> to give it to Brian James or look where Mike Cleary was, but um, I just took off and away I went. And um, when I got to have the twenty-two meter line, I, I could felt my hamstring go. I think adrenaline kept me going. Yep. And then when I got over the try line, I scored and then I was sort of happy and everyone was shaking hands and clapping me on the head. And when I started walking back, I got to about the halfway line and then it just t- tightened up. Then when I got behind the try line, I was just on half time. I could hardly walk. And then the half time bell went and I started walking off. And I said, The Sats, I said, oh, I can't really walk, mate. Just handy. He said, I oh, don't show you crook. So I struggled off and I uh, said to Clive, I'm, I'm off. I'm out, mate. And he said, Oh, you can't come off. I said, I got. I said, man, pull my hamstring. He said, and he said, clear. He's come off. He said, he's done his groin. He said, he said, we can't. We, we can hide him, but we can't. We, we can hide you in the forge, but we can't hide him on the wing. So they pushed Jimmy Lyle out the five eight and pushed Eric Sims out in the wing and brought yep. up what up a five eight called Greg Norgard. And yeah. uh, I, I, he said to me, you just go dummy half and put Walters because Alvin Walters was like a yep. second row anyway. And uh, he said, put him back the second row, and he'll. And when the scrums go down, you go back the second row, and he goes back up the hooker. Well, lo and behold, we done that and we won the grand final and after the game, Elmer Walters goes to England and I go down to Clip Coogee, sit at Coogee Beach for the, for the summer. Yeah. The famous 69 grand final against Balmain that you touched on, South's loss, the Tigers' tactics to this day, still questionable. Good. Yeah. Does time good. heal the pain? No, no, no. You'd think so, but I still can't get over it. I mean, penalties 18 to 5, I think, you know, I mean, we were the best side in the comp. And yep. Um, I don't think we're allowed to win that day. 
I know I shouldn't be saying things like that, but they oh, and their true. tactics were good. They, they were good. I mean, Johnny Sattler was saying to Keith Page all, all day, make him get up, Keith, for Christ's sake. And he's saying, God, I'm not a doctor. They could be crook. And, um, you know, they just kept laying. But one time now there was five laying down when we got the ball and we thought, oh, oh come. And then um, it was good tactics. We should have thought of ourselves when they had the ball. There's only, mm. As you realise, there's only one try scored in the whole game. We couldn't score because we weren't allowed to. And then they only scored the one in, in the second half there, like because our defence was so good. But I thought a couple of times there we could have scored tries. But well, I, one time there, John O'Neill put me in, into, the, into, into space and I ran about 40 metres and I got inside Bob Smithies. Yeah. As soon as I got inside him, the whistle went. And I looked back and uh, Keith Page, I went back, I said, Keith Page, what's up? He said, you're offside. I said, I, said, I ran behind John O'Neill. He said, get outside. Oh. And then he penalised me another time for giving him cheek and what have you. And, and Cootie put me over under the post and was marginal. Like the way they just now, they, there's no marginal anymore. They just give you the try, don't That's they? Right. Whatever, you know, and they, that, they took that office. Um, Paul Sate in the second half when he, Bobby Moses played with a torn, um, torn um, rib cartilage. And at half time, the painkiller had wore off. And Clive said, Oh, look, you better come off, Bob. He said, um, I've got Sadie ready and re- fit and raring to go. Yep. So he put him, put him in and said he went from dummy half and Paige come around when he, all these blokes, all the Belmain players jumped on him and uh, you can see on, on video, if you watch it, Paige says, no, no, try, held up. Then when all the Belmains peel off him, Sadie gets up with the ball stuck under his chest. So, and that was near the post, so there's another five points. If you weren't around in 1969, Belmain's game plan, and they've admitted to it since, was simply lying down and just killing mm. any rhythm Souths may have had. The Tigers won 11-2 in a huge upset and a very controversial game that's still talked about to this day. Twelve months later, 1970 grand final, South Sydney and Manly. Bitter rivals at the time, both extremely physical sides. Brutal. John Bucknell's role in the day, a punch to John Sattler that broke his jaw in two or three places, depending on who's telling the story was just three minutes into the game. It ignited and it infuriated a Rabbitohs forward pack that I claim was as tough and is as tough as any pack that's ever played the game. John O'Neill, Gary Stevens, and yourself went to war for a mate. Was it personal? Oh, yeah. Well, um, it was green final too. You know, it was Mm. kill or be killed. Yeah. And um, I was on the side of the ruck when Sats got smashed. And uh, I could see what happened, um, you know, look, Sats used to wear a big boxing mouth guard. Yep. And if Johnny Buckner would have hit him just normally, like the, the, the force of the thing would have cushioned, the, the mouth guard would have cushioned the shock. But because he was so tall, he, he, he punched downwards. Yep. And, and ripped, ripped Sats's jaw downwards as he, as he punched him with all that force because he was a big guy. Yeah. And when he punched him downwards, it, everything just come apart and, and the mouth guard was no good to him. And, um, I looked at Sats when he got up from the ground, and I could see there was there was a, there was there was the bottom level of teeth, and there was the first floor of teeth. <laughs> so he had oh. the basement, and so we, John O'Leal came over and said, "You're right, mate." And um, he had a bit of blood was spitting out, and he said, um, yeah, "I think he's still a bit dazed." He said, "Oh, uh, well, you know what, what's going on?" And then we said, "I think we think you break your jaw, mate. Might have to go off." He said, oh, "I'm not going off." So we said, you, "You broke your jaw, you know." And he said, "No, oh, I'm not going off. I'll be right. I'll be right." Somehow we got that out when he was talking, and. Um, um, we just said, okay, we'll just have to play around him. So we're putting, putting the ball around him, over his head, behind him and what have you. And we come in at half time and he said, I appreciate what you're doing. He said, but give me the ball. He said, 
don't make me, you know, look, I'm not in, involved in the game. Mm. He's otherwise someone else, someone might have one of these, you know. Yeah. So we said, okay, Sats, you want it? You're going to get it. So we were throwing the ball at him and they knew he had a broken jaw and they were smashing him and smashing him around the head and all that and he got up and played the ball, kept saying instructions, move it, let's come back the blind, all this type of stuff. And when the game was over and we won, um, you know, everyone sort of jumped in the air and everyone knew he had a broken jaw and I think all the press guys got hold of it. Yep. And in those days the press were allowed into the dressing rooms. Yeah. And they were all coming in and we were all sort of around squirting champagne as you, as you do after a grand final or beer or drinking grog and whatever. You. And uh, all the press guys were saying that Sats broke his jaw because that night they were picking the Australian side to go to England, you know, with the yep. World Cup and we knew Sats would have been captain. And um, we said, no, no, he's all right, he's all right, all right. And I don't know if you've been to the cricket ground down the other end. There used to be a bath in the, the corner. The bath area. Yeah. In the bath area and, and Sats was in there and he, he was he had the door closed. He got a guy called Johnny Martin while he's making his speech to go up there. He made the speech too, which was yeah. ironical. And then uh, he said to Johnny Martin, go in and put that bath on for me. So he must have thought, I'll get in there and I'll do what I've got to do in there with my jaw. So anyway, he's got in there and... and and all the guys are saying, John, you, how's your jaw? And he's going, oh, I'm all right, boys, yeah, I'll be out in a minute. You know, how's your, you haven't broken, have you? No, 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 I'm all right, I'm just having a bath. I'll be out in a minute, boys. Anyway, Clive's come home and he said, oh, Satch, he said, these guys are going to file their stories, you know, by six o'clock or wherever it was yeah. in those days for the, for the next day. And he said, they've got to file their stories, you better come out. He said, I'm coming out in a minute. So all of a sudden the door opened, we all looked to see what was happening. And as Satch went to say, oh, how you going? All the jaw fell apart again. <laughs> So I said to Sats after it, what was you doing in there? He said, I was pushing it all back in and it kept coming out. So he was pushing it on that side. He was pushing it on the left side, the right side. And he was pushing it in the middle so it all stayed together so he could get past the medical and get on the World Cup. You know, and uh, as he said, hello, it all just fell apart again. And they all, they all they rushed out. They said, he's broke his jaw, he's broke his jaw. And they all rushed out to all their phones and all that type of stuff and ringing up. And that was the headlines. And yeah, poor bugger Sats, he was a tough bugger. We hope you're enjoying the Bob McCarthy story. There's more to come. Make sure you're following us on social media, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at The Andy Raymond. And subscribe to the podcast on whatever app you're currently listening on. That way, you won't miss a thing. Make sure you come back soon, legends.